Hey there. Oh, right. Happy New Year. That's right. Hi there, I'm Rose Cooper and this is the Eloquent in the Room podcast episode 15, midday in the terrarium of good and not quite as good. potentially less evil 2021 or something who the fuck knows (laughs) that's the weird thing about the whole calendar thing is we place so much emphasis on the ending of one year and the beginning of another and we hang so much hope and tradition and intention and stuff around it and gosh religious but I do love the expression um, uh, how do you make God laugh tell him your plans or something Um, the best way I can convey this is to share with you where I was this time last year I was actually in Ireland Um, I was there endeavouring to consolidate a long distance relationship that I was having at the time I was there specifically to see the new year in with him because I thought we were in a relationship and it was real and and it felt like oh, I need to see the new year in with him. It was very romantic of me and all that sort of stuff. But, um, you know, that's a long story in and of itself. It ended not long after that. But, but the thing was we were in the throes of this feeling at that time And on this day, (laughs) on this day in January last year, he was driving me back to Dublin Airport. Um, And we rounded a bend. The back of the car slipped on the black ice and he lost control of the vehicle. If you've ever been in a car accident, and I've been in a couple, these things tend to happen in slow motion. You remember what you're thinking at that precise point, that control has been lost and I saw the embankment coming towards us so I braced myself but I also simultaneously relaxed my mindset around whatever was going to happen next because I had no control. I even entertained the possibility that the car might flip when it hit and tumble down the hill on the other side to an unknown fate possibly serious injury or even death you never know with these things We didn't. We just slammed into the embankment, rear driver's side corner of the car first. I felt something go ping, but it didn't hurt. I was shaky when we got out, but I could talk. His instinct was to get me to the airport as soon as possible so I wouldn't miss my scheduled flight. My instinct was to give up on that and get us both to the nearest hospital to double check for an injury. I knew for sure I wasn't going straight from a car accident to a 26 or so hours flight on a plane. As it was, we called a cab. He went home with the tow truck and we parted ways there and then. Little did I know at the time that that entire experience was kind of a weird metaphor for the year that was to come. 
because what was happening was out of my control, but how I reacted to it and the decisions that I made after that as a result of it happening were completely and utterly in my control. It was a day-to-day living in the present sense of control rather than a planning things and hoping for the best or hoping for some sort of a specific outcome for which I had no control or would never have any control over the outcome. So it uh, really kind of set the tone for me for 2020. I used the lockdown situation as a excuse to get the podcast happening which was something I'd been dithering about for two years, as I've said before. Um, So I put a lot of uh, planning (laughs) towards uh, the first series and um, I didn't really know what was going to happen after that. I was just continually going with the flow and uh, opportunities to talk to people led to opportunities to talk to other people and it kind of meandered along with me going from orgasm to sexuality to gender identification and now we're on the cusp of uh, something that was very dear to me when I decided that I wanted to do a podcast I definitely wanted to cover certain topics and consent but not just consent um the entire notion of the Me Too movement and um, social mores and how they've changed the dynamics between human beings in negotiating sex, the attitudes that people have, the online phenomenon, the online dating, the way we treat each other online, social media, um, the way things are depicted in the media on television, um, all of this stuff. I want to I want to pick it all to pieces and um, it was easy when it was orgasm. <laughs> that was just one topic and it branched out into a lot of cultural conversations and uh, things about um, the way that science sort of evolved and all that sort of stuff. But, but this other stuff, this Me Too stuff and consent stuff and whatever really strongly speaks to very emotional things that um, other people experience like you know I'm aware of the sensitivities around it and the trigger warnings around it and stuff and I also had to be in a really really good headspace to approach the topic because being um, from a certain generation and experiencing a lot of coercion early in my life and and sexual assault and harassment and all that sort of jazz and having the effects of that the accumulative effects of that stuff that happens when you're born a woman kind of creep up on me over the years and over the decades and and inside of and outside of being in long-term relationships and and being sexually active and, and all that sort of stuff There's a lot of patchwork and peeling paint inside my psyche. (laughs) There's a lot of notes fluttering in the breeze with things scrawled on them in my brain. Um, There's a lot of lumps in my throat. 
there's a lot of energy in my chest that becomes unleashed when I allow myself to confront the things that are very confronting. So I will be treading very warily into this and this is the journey that I am setting myself for 2021 and I'm going to take my time. I'm not going to rush into it. I think I've rushed into a few of the things that I've taken on board with this podcast over the course of it Um, and I've made things fit. I've made episodes fit with the things that came into my field of vision given that we were in lockdown and no one was working and we were all living life online a lot more than ever before. And yet we were also reassessing (laughs) the point of all of that being online. So this is a little bit of a... um, Uh, not a bookmark, but a a bit of a pause and reflect on certain aspects of how the year unfolded and how things felt like they were out of everyone's control, but also how certain people responded and reacted to these things that were out of our control and how fucking surprising some of those reactions were. I don't know about you, But I had people in my peripheral, my friends list on Facebook and and stuff, posting some really shit things on Facebook because they'd been gleefully falling for right-wing rhetoric um, coming out of the US specifically, but also from Australia, from... Uh, radio DJs, shock jocks and, and whatnot, but people who are rather famous for taking a hard line. And um, sometimes it's generational, admittedly. It might be older people who were used to listening to DJs, uh, you know, shock jocks, talk radio guys. They've been listening to them for years, decades, and they've become like a trusted friend that they listen to. So they're less aware of the subtle but very real and pervasive um, whittling away of the soul (laughs) that is happening to them while they are drawn into political arguments that are not putting human rights at the top of the fucking list of priorities that are somehow laying blame for the position that certain people in certain sections of the community find themselves and using religion as an excuse or things were better in our day as an excuse and like the the youth is out of control and uh, the do-gooders and the snowflakes and the the bleeding hearts and and all this sort of stuff and this kind of rhetoric that that is coming out and it was just on the radio airwaves for the longest time, but it's uh, bled its way into social media. And it's not just boomers. It's not just older people. It's I was just shocked and devastated by some of the things that I saw posted online by younger people. Fucking, what are we now? Gen Z? 
um, and millennials. And uh, I'm pretty sure I'm not the only person that felt this way, that every time you went onto social media, you felt like you were putting out fires. You were... You were um, giving people the opportunity to explain to you why they believed the thing that they believed and then giving them the opportunity to maybe believe something else. Um, And it was a really confusing thing. And simultaneously in my personal life um, online, I was also finding people um, on Instagram and stuff to follow specifically to learn more about things like white fragility and stuff that even though I always considered myself not to be racist, was really, really ignorant of the really subtle, casual racism that is there. Like, I've been binging on shows from the late 90s lately, throughout this year. I caught up on Gilmore Girls because I'd never watched it and um, because I did watch The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, I decided I would um, retrospectively go back to Gilmore Girls because I liked the writing of Maisel and I thought, oh, I think initially I dismissed Gilmore Girls because of the hyper-realism in the writing and two people are both talking like extremely highly educated uber geeks to each other all the time and one was a mother and one was the daughter Um, but when looked through the lens of it being very clever writing really just there to um, create a bit of subterfuge um, and make you laugh like it was very very funny but never lost the emotional integrity of the characters or the or the storylines never suffered for the fact that the dialogue was so out there and um, I wouldn't have got it. I don't think I would have got it if I had have watched it at the time. I was too busy being a parent um, back then and I wasn't as absorbed in television as I was growing up. Um, and I have also caught up on um, Sopranos, <laughs> which is an interesting juxtaposition. Um, and what else? Oh, I'm currently watching Dawson's Creek. <laughs> I know, right? What is even wrong with me? I'm, I, I like, I kind of hate myself at the moment for doing these binges. In my defence, I'm using them like yoga, brain yoga. Um, it's it's kind of zen because it's not something I need to overthink. But one thing the three series have in common is they were all produced between around about that 1997 to 2004 sort of period. And I can't not notice how white it is. Watching all these shows pretty much back to back, one after the other, as you do when you binge, it's so fucking white. And it's... United States of America. Now, I can't 100% say at which point in the last 20 years or so that um, I was personally more aware of the lack of diversity on our screens when it came to American cinema and TV shows, but regardless, you can't not see it now. You can't not see everything now. The um, the the mask is off. Well, I hope you're wearing yours, but you know what I mean. The the 
the blinders, the blinkers have been taken off and it really, really, really upsets me to know that I was wearing any kind of blinker at any time, that I didn't notice things, that I didn't, I don't know, I, I didn't have as much knowledge of American culture back then as I have come to know over the last at least 15 years since I visited America. And I became good friends with someone I met, um, an African-American guy who was always blogging about the racial situation in America. And through that, I learned so much more and I started having more conversations with my sons who were millennials and um, more woke than I was by a very long way in regards to um, lack of representation and and, um, the problems and the systemic violence and stuff so so I've been having these conversations um, bit by bit for that length of time but still the learning curve and the overcoming of the white fragility shit has really really stepped up in the last couple of years with Black Lives Matter and this past 12 months with some serious engagement that I've had with people online conversations and and stuff that I've read and and all that and and there's no going back from that there's only going forward there's only joining the march there's only that there's no looking for reasons why why can't we all just get along? <laughs> Fuck that. There's like, why can't we make reparations? Why can't we make things better there and in Australia? Um, I've never been patriotic. Australia Day is coming up in January. I've never been patriotic about it. I've always felt like a tourist. I've always felt out of place. Um and we're getting closer and closer and closer to having some sort of consensus about flag things and and anthems and stuff. But all that is tokenism at the end of the day. So, so the world is... I'm feeling like it's in a good place um, for change. I feel like I've found myself in a great place in history, in the timeline of history, to know that good will win over evil that's uh, that's all i can say that's the only way i can put it it sounds so naive and fucking snowflakey fuck you um but i have no religion i don't believe in religion i don't believe in god and the devil or anything like that but i do believe that uh capitalism is evil and commercialism and all of that stuff is evil a hundred percent um classism fuck it all fuck it all into the fire i don't want to burn books but i want to i want to burn ideas um that have brought us to this place where good people are arguing with each other good people with good hearts are arguing with each other because some people who are good with good hearts can't see what's in front of their very eyes even when it's right in front of them they will still look for a reason to believe that they are right the ego is standing in the way because like i say once your eyes are open you go how did i not see it how did i not notice it like fuck 
fucking Stockholm Syndrome. It sucks. It's the collective unconscious at work. Now, what's this got to do with Facebook, you may ask? Everything. Um, I don't want to talk about racism or sexism or Me Too or consent at the moment. They're all things that I do want to talk about during the course of the year and I'm going to put a lot of energy into constructing those episodes so as to be um, as engaging and as informative and awareness-raising as I possibly can. I want to treat them with the delicacy and respect that they deserve. But I thought at the very least, I can hold up a mirror to what has been going on in Facebook (laughs) in a way that may or may not resonate with people more so in in just how insidious the culture that has crept up on us in the last even as as little as five years the way that that's changed the the amount of videos that you see that are paraded for before you on facebook right now um you look at one and they immediately start lining up based on that one that you look at They immediately line up with an array of, oh, they looked at that, let's put this one in front of them, that one in front of them, that one in front of them, that one in front of them. So if you're of a particular leaning, whether it's right or left, liberal or conservative, whatever you want to call it, radical or fucking hardline or centre-left or whatever, the algorithm is there ready to dish up exactly what we want let the vegetarians have their veg- their vegetarian meal, let the vegans have theirs, let the meat eaters have theirs. And these things, I don't think, cross-pollinate. You need people to have conversations and actually put things in front of you. You can't count on Facebook. This is one thing I want to really um, establish. This entire reason for this conversation is you can't expect Facebook to be your news. You can't expect one or two stories that you see that help put your mind at ease that you're still a good person because that's what, what it boils down to, especially white fragility, that's what it boils down to. If you see something there that tells you something that kind of makes logical sense in your mind and still makes you feel like you're a good person, while discrediting things like Black Lives Matter um, or Me Too, Um, if you're looking at anything that is trying to tell you that these things, Me Too and Black Lives Matter, are a bad thing or in any way a conspiracy or whatever, please step away from Facebook, step away from YouTube, let other people educate you. Someone wise, I don't know who it was, but someone wise once said that, you know, you you should always be looking at things that don't agree with what you believe. And two things, one of two things will happen. They'll either reinforce what you believe or they will change your mind. I think a lot of people seek out things that reinforce what they believe. And I'll be honest, I believe (laughs) that Black Lives Matter is an extremely important and worthwhile protest movement 
and human rights movement and um, unifying event for people of all races. Um, And I will do what I can with what limited platform that I have to bring awareness to it. Um, And I do on Facebook, at The Eloquent in the Room and and on Instagram. But meanwhile, like I say, people I know and credit with having a modicum of um, intelligence and decency and whatever have been falling for really dumb things. That's the best way I can... That's the best way I can um, say it. Um, So I'm not actually going to list what the dumb things are, but I am going to sort of um, set the scene for people to understand just how much they have been manipulated um, and how things... How much... And the best way... And the best way maybe is like I found myself... um, looking back at things, watching them in the 90s and seeing how white they were and really seeing it, really noticing it and really pondering it. Um, I needed the contrast. I needed that 20-year contrast to really ram it home because the changes that have been happening over the last 10 years or so in regards to diversity in cinema and TV happened without me really being aware of the changes that much because I was a fucking white person so I wasn't jumping up and down so much about it because in all honesty back in the day in the 80s and 90s when I was watching TV and it was mostly white people's problems and lives and romances and adventures I didn't fucking notice it sure I watched shows like The Cosby Show and uh, Good Times and um, Julia and other shows that depicted African Americans in various situations but I didn't realise how much they weren't actually (laughs) representative for the most part of you know the varying experiences of that yeah it's like I didn't know how fucking dumb I was, basically, and um, I feel embarrassed to admit it, but admit it I will because everyone has to fucking squirm a little and realise that for the most part, white people have been walking around with fucking blinkers on. We may not have put the blinkers on ourselves, but now that we have the opportunity to take them off, let's all do it, shall we? To that end, let us step back in time, shall we, to 2011, when I wrote an article about Facebook and how much I hated what it had done to my life. And When you look at it, in contrast, it had done comparatively fuck all to my life back then than what it is doing to us now. So in the same way that I have seen the contrasts by watching the Gilmore Girls, (laughs) let's have a little look at the contrast of uh, the last 10 years, shall we? By the way, you may have noticed that there's been a bit of rain and thunder in the background. Now, I'm recording this now, the day before it's coming out. It's taken me all day so far, I've got to say. Um, And I recorded the reading of this article, which is only 15 minutes long. Um, I recorded it yesterday. It wasn't raining. There was no thunder. Um, And I did a lot of my fun little voices and sound effects and stuff that I like to do because it's fun. Um, And look, I'll 
just let you <laughs> listen now and you'll understand why I find it amusing that we have a storm today. Is Facebook the devil? No, seriously, that's what I called it. Little did I know. Um, hi. Oh, this isn't easy. Um, here goes. Hi, my name is Rose Cooper and I'm addicted to Facebook. Oh, in case you're thinking she shouldn't have said that, I know you can't get addicted to Facebook. I just, you know, I was just being funny-ish. Oh my God. Um, it's been about five minutes since I last checked my news feed. I don't know how I got to be here. But I feel stuck. Sound familiar? I uploaded my first profile photo um, to Facebook in September 2007, so I guess that's when, like most people, I got dragged screaming and kicking into this all-consuming cult. I resisted it for ages. I honestly didn't want yet another internet thing cluttering up my life. I was already an avid emailer rabid researcher and mad chatter. I was also very content living in my space and I'd finally found a background theme and playlist I was truly happy with. It was so me. So I didn't see the point in pitching my ego tent elsewhere. I turned down umpteen invitations from seemingly sophisticated, mature friends and colleagues who kept insisting that Facebook was the MySpace for grown-ups. <laughs> As I already felt like the oldest MySpacer on the block, I took a cursory glance at ye oldie Facebook circa mid-2007, and I have to say, I was hideously confronted by what I saw. Throwing sheep? <laughs> poking? Sending pretend... Pot plants? Insert your own pot plant sound effect. WBTT? Um, that stood for what be this tomfoolery? I tried it out 10 years ago and, and never caught on. But, you know, if, if at first you don't succeed, WBTT, what be this tomfoolery? It's going to happen. It's never going to happen. This all seemed about as mature as... Cats, jelly wrestling, but not nearly as entertaining. I smugly held out for several months. Facebook looks stupid, I chortled. <sighs> Is that a chortle? Possibly. But then two of my relatives went to live in the UK and insisted Facebook would be their only form of communication. So I signed up. I felt dirty doing so, I don't mind admitting. It really did feel cultish back then. That was cultish with um, That's over four years ago now, she said in 2011. Fuck, it's 14 years ago. The time has whizzed by in a peculiar evolutionary blur of hurled livestock. So grown up. Exchanged super pokes. So adult. Drinks. So mature. Make believe sexual favours. Ah, single people, I can hear you thinking, hey... That sounds fantastic, but there wasn't all the teenagers and teenagers on Facebook back then that there are now. We are definitely better off without that shit. Harassment much? Elaborately contrived gifts. By the way, my favourite was the celebrity 
hatching eggs. They were cool. You didn't know who you were going to get. Buying and selling people. Fuck. I don't even remember that. I Or like kind of remember it. We were buying and selling our friends. That's fucked. Anyway, playing Scrabble. I like Scrabble. Hit me up. I'll play some Scrabble with you. Um, watching hilarious slash hideous film clips, reading notes, reposted blogs, and of course, contributing countless comments and status updates, opining everything from deep philosophy and resonant song lyrics to quirky TV quotes and complete and utter guff. Guff, I tell you. Remember back when most memes were just kittens? I deleted MySpace only about three years ago. It was kind of like I was walking from one boat to the previous one and I didn't want to take my foot off the last one in case I drowned. Kind of did. Um, By which time I had acquired a whole new level of smug because I had finally become a Facebook disciple. And... I have to admit it, gleefully dragging other people screaming and kicking into its furry clutches. I'm embarrassed to admit it, but I've actually harassed people into getting onto Facebook. That was back then. I would never do it now. I shouted down the naysayers with a litany of reasons why Facebook was not just not stupid. It was actually good for you, and I still think it has a lot of positives going for it. Okay, 10 years later, I'm going to downgrade that to some positives going for it. Definitely not a lot. But some of the negative aspects are really starting to rankle. Oh my God, look at me. I knew that at the beginning. For instance, I was a nosy bitch before, but Facebook has aggressively encouraged me to stalk people and in turn has seen me actively encouraging others to stalk me. I recently changed my privacy settings so that only genuine friends could see my photographs. But before that, any crackpot and his cocker spaniel had permission to see my photos. That's right. In a world where fame is coveted as a virtue, we all decided to become celebrities of our own social circles. I'm pretty sure that I didn't used to care what my friends did and thought. Well, not every moment of every fucking day but now this mostly useless information has become a staple of my day-to-day existence for a chronic nurturer with overdeveloped what can i do to help instincts this is not such a good thing i already cared too much about too many people now i cared too too much much think about it imagine if every time you met a new person They started ranting on about the minutiae of their day and then produced a box of photos they took the last time they went out for coffee. You'd think, what a crashing bore. And beat a hasty retreat pretending you needed to use the bathroom. And yet, even though Facebook is wall-to-wall banality and self-indulgence, we can nary resist its charms. 800 million users can't be wrong. Oh my God, that has now jumped to 2.7% billion Uh, yeah right I was hanging out with an actual real friend recently in person kicking it old school and he paused briefly to check his Facebook and as he did so he whined why am I on Facebook I hate Facebook this about sums it up I think 
I felt the same way. It, it was also insidious. My Facebook addiction reminds me of the love-hate relationship that characterised my former addiction to cigarette smoking. While there is irrefutable evidence out there that Facebook is definitely bad for me, I still rationalised it in my own mind, told myself that it's stimulating and relaxing and, yes, sometimes even calms my nerves because in Facebook space, someone can always hear you scream. There's always someone out there at all times of the day. It's like it's like that moment in the movies where a house full of people are supposedly asleep, but one character can't sleep and they head to the kitchen for a midnight snack only to find there's already someone there, spoon in hand, eating ice cream straight from the bucket. At 2am, Facebook is everybody's kitchen. However, there are also times when it gives me the psychological equivalent of smoker's cough. We're all aware of the P word, <laughs> procrastination. Ben Shapiro would have still been in high school when I wrote that. It's the bane of every creative existence and Facebook is procrastination central. Especially if, like me, you're somewhat obsessive and have an overblown opinion on just about every topic under the sun. Look at me being self-aware 10 years ago. The stupid thing is I can get caught up in trivialities and still feel reasonably productive because I'll have contributed something witty, caring or smart to the conversation. I'm a communicator. It's what I do. I can't fucking shut up. I'm a conversation addict and Facebook is my crack. Wow. I swapped one crack for another. Hello, listeners. How you doing? Um, needless to say, it's heroin for gossips. Facebook, that is, not my podcast. Don't get me wrong, the positives are definitely there. I've spent my entire adult life living a fair way out of town, away from my extended family. We've never been more in touch than we are on Facebook. Is that sad? It's pretty sad, but I think it's kind of universal to people, particularly people who live in different places around Australia or around the world. I've also made really beautiful connections with some amazing people whom I'm certain I would never have had the opportunity to get to know or become reacquainted with otherwise. I am particularly grateful for this. It's a great way for kindred spirits to commune with their tribe. I adore some of the friendships I've made or that have become galvanized via Facebook. This is still true of me and Instagram, I've got to say, particularly in the last 12 months. I also enjoy what has been dubbed as social energy, the social energy of Facebook. It invigorates me. There's an entire language primarily forged by US pop culture and the SMS speak of the millennial generation that has permeated the Facebook parlance, thereby creating a level communication playing field. Wow, that was a bit of a wanky sentence. This can only be a good thing, you would think, generationally speaking. Generational, educational and cultural gaps, in language terms at least, are becoming narrower. Facebook doesn't really discriminate, textually speaking. It's the halfway house of crappy spellers and obnoxious academics alike. As the true believers of Facebook know, it's not how you say it. It's what you are saying that truly counts. 
then there are things about Facebook that qualify as neither good nor bad. They're just plain fucking weird. For starters, I, at the time, had 555 friends. Um, I'm up around 900 now, and I, I jettisoned. At one stage, I jettisoned about 200 people about five years ago, and then it grew back up again. Weird how that happens. But admittedly, a goodly proportion of these people are actually known to me, at least in nodding terms, through my active association with my local arts community. But I actually tend to ignore that when I go about my daily Facebookery. My status updates are aimed at best to maybe few dozen people, but more often than not, they're cryptic, veiled messages aimed at a handful of people who are either on the same wavelength as me or are just merely into the same derivative pop culture, lyric, philosophizing stuff. I know I'm not the only person that does this. I've been reading your statuses. We're all human. We all have moments of insanity, insecurity and frustration and Facebook can sometimes be a good place to vent. It can also be the most inappropriate place to vent. This is when Facebook morphs from being the world's kitchen into the world's dinner table and we all become members of the same dysfunctional family, tensely waiting for dad to snap. This is what really put me off Facebook. Passive-aggressive shit between people or friends or exes or family members or stuff. Just don't. Just don't do it. Please don't do it. Fucking don't do it. It's shit. Um, So, back to the article. What to do about my addiction? It sure doesn't help that I now have access to Facebook on my phone. That was a new thing back then. I thought about limiting myself to only checking Facebook on my phone. But we all know, isn't it funny? <laughs> it's funny to think that that was, a, that was an option that seemed like something I wouldn't do all the time because I was checking Facebook on my desktop most of the time. Um, internet access on my phone was limited to a couple of apps like Facebook and I think email. I don't think there was much going on before smartphones finally became a thing whenever that was I don't fucking remember but the fact remains I was becoming really pissed off with the ubiquity of it the the suck hole of it I lamented the fact that I was spending too much time on it but I felt stuck because I was using it as a communication tool and an advertising tool for the greater arts community that I was deeply involved with And I genuinely felt trapped. And the last sentence of the article was, Fuck Fuck Facebook. So that was me having a gripe about Facebook circa 2011. What a fucking snowflake. What a whinger. What a big baby. All of those problems that I saw back then were so fucking petty and benign compared to the absolute fucking monster Facebook became. Like, it was always turning shitty. Each time they updated it and changed it, it just seemed to turn a bit shittier in a a different way. But I just wanted to 
give you a quick reminder of just how weird and silly it was to begin with. It was just fucking strange and weird and quirky and obviously childish and yet it was dressed up as some sort of grown-up thing to or sophisticated thing to be on Facebook. Wrap your head around that. People over 30 remember. That was the cell. (laughs) Hard to believe now. So anyway, here we are back in 2021 and we've just had, you know, three or four years of um, fraud and corruption and lies, misinformation, propaganda, things that are just pouring out of every orifice of the app. It's just insidious isn't even a word like so I find that um, I, I don't know if I can come up with an analogy I'm still on Facebook and it's still only because I am putting the network into the social network thing I don't really use it that much not my personal account I might pop a I popped images of me being overseas when I was overseas um, nowadays I just you know, leave it alone. But on the eloquent in the room, it's a fucking soapbox. I'm always putting things um, on there that I think people need to hear, need to see, and antidotes to everything else that I'm seeing. And I have to end this piece, this podcast, I have to end it with a bit of a fucking soapbox rant because... While I have absolutely no control over what the powers that be at Google and Facebook and Amazon and whatever other monolithic enterprise there is out there that's out to get me and my information and exploit me, I can do my bit to raise awareness about things that um, gullible people don't really seem to understand about the internet, (laughs) about Facebook, about propaganda. Um, Look, call me obnoxious for thinking that I know better, but hey, this is my podcast and um, the soapbox is about to be mounted. I just want to say to my social media connections and to people who are listening to this podcast, come closer. Let's have a nice little heart-to-heart. <laughs> I feel it behooves us all at this juncture for someone to point out a few basic ways in which we are all contributing to the toxic levels of garbage with which we're being confronted in our news feeds every day. Look, I'm no angel, but I seldom walk past an empty soft drink can that is sitting on the sidewalk without stooping to pick it up and chuck it in the bin. It's a pretty good metaphor because much like your Michael Moores and Al Gores and that dude who gained a shitload of weight from eating McDonald's burgers, I'm going to call him Sam Shaw because it rhymes and it also highlights the point I'm trying to make about the haphazard way in which people post things on the internet. I'm here to expose the way in in which everyday people are passively throwing cigarettes out of their windows and onto the information superhighway with nary a care for the resulting wildfire they could be sparking. At the risk of sounding like a total wanker, regular listeners to this podcast would be used to this shit by now as a freelance journalist who used to make a decent living from writing well-researched articles for a handful of reputable print magazines 
before the internet came along and made it a conscienceless free-for-all for for any ego-obsessed, quasi-literate hack with a few good clickbaity catchphrases to see their name in print, while probably not being paid or being paid shit. I'd like to point out a few ways in which every one of us are all contributing to the problem. What problem, you ask? Well, for starters, the proliferation of misinformation that we ourselves are guilty of pushing. And while I'm feeling sanctimonious, let's throw in the willful pollution of young minds for good measure. Come on, guys. The good old days weren't really that good. Get your fucking head out of the sand. But that's beside the point. Um, I do want to ram home something that I have been raving on about on my social media platform on Facebook for at least the last 10 years, and that's for people to please double-check something that they're going to repost. Um, Just check the source. It takes you 30 seconds. If it looks like something that needs validation, if it seems, if it's a fact, if someone's reposting a fact, you can fact check it. You're allowed. Um, Go to Snopes.com, feed the title of the article in, and it will tell you whether or not it's true. It's easy to do. And I think the worst crime than just knee-jerk posting a clickbait headline um, without making a comment, just posting it like it's true and not, and just letting it go into the ether without nary a care. I think the worst offender is the person who will post it with a comment saying, I don't know if this is true, but I thought I'd post it just in case. Now, this is where the past meets the present because I've got a lot of gripes about the things that people post on Facebook and the chain letters and the stupid statuses that people put up. Dear Facebook, I hereby do not give you permission and all that sort of stuff. Just just the basic banal stupid shit that people regurgitate without fact-checking first. That's the least of our worries. What really, really pisses me off is when people just post things, inflammatory propaganda, and think that because the propaganda or the message that the propaganda is giving, whether it's about um, child abuse or something that is reprehensible, absolutely reprehensible, that they repost that based on the fact that even if the fact, in inverted commas, is wrong, child abuse is also wrong. So those two things cancel them out and that person reposting something, even though they haven't fact-checked it and they don't know if it's true or not, they think it's okay to post it anyway. No, it's not. It's irresponsible to do that. Um, Don't ever post things just in case they're true. Check if they're true and then post (laughs) if you still think it's important to post them. Um, And this is where we come back to where I was talking about before, where people who are really rated as quite intelligent and discerning folk started posting things that I found disturbing and researched them and found that they had direct links to right-wing propagandists and white supremacists. So um, when I would point it out to people, they'd be like, oh, but, you know... 
what about the children? I'm like, it's fucking lies. These people would say to me till they're blue in the face that they were not racist. But when I point out to them that the origin of the rumour and propaganda and hoax that they're spreading is a white supremacist organisation, they don't want to know. They just don't want to know. So I don't know what to tell you. I'm not even going to mention the organisation because most people know who I'm talking about anyway, so they don't need me to mention their name out loud. So that was me getting all up in arms and there's plenty of like really trivial stuff that I can go on about in regards to shit that pisses me off on Facebook. Um, Don't send me any chain letters, don't tell me to put up statuses for certain causes or or any of that shit please it's all just it's all just bullshit if you want to stand up for causes stand up for causes don't do this performative bullshit that goes on on facebook um now i've got favorite people that i recommend i don't necessarily want to list all the people that i want to tell you not to pay attention to but in this past 12 months, I've come across some wonderful resources that I would like to highly recommend. And among those are, for sex education, you cannot go past Sexplanations on YouTube, Dr. Lindsay Doe. She's been doing her YouTube show for about seven years, and it is thorough, responsible, sex positive, 100% accurate understanding, non-judgmental, just fucking awesome. She's so fucking enthusiastic and, um, yeah, it's she's a whirlwind, but it's there's so much value to be had on there. Sexplanations on YouTube, check it out. On Instagram, for your mental health, I would recommend your diagnonsense. Um, it's a guy called Todd Barrett's on Instagram under the handle Your Diagnonsense. He cuts through the bullshit of all the uh, memetics, all the Insta therapy memes that, um, you know, overdiagnose everything and, and pathologize everything when, when we're all just human beings who make mistakes. He's great. I would highly recommend you follow him. For Black Lives Matter, please get on the Jenea Future Khan bandwagon. Join the Penguin Army. On my Instagram, you can find all of their uh, speeches in my highlights, but just go and find them on uh, Instagram. Easy peasy. Matthew Bernstein, or is it Bernstein? Sorry, Matt if I've pronounced that wrong. He's a YouTuber and an Instagrammer and he is an angel sent from heaven, not the other place where evil dwell. Um, He's a beautiful human being and the best LGBTQ advocate going. And he's all of 22, I think. Fucking hell. Um, Some more news. They have strong opinions, strong very well-researched and fact-checked opinions, and it's presented so fucking well, so engaging, so inarguable, so well laid out. Check it out, some more news. Um, For self-esteem and body positivity, follow Jamila, Jamil, that's J-A-M-E-E-L-A, Jamil. She has a podcast called I Weigh. 
I-W-E-I-G-H. And she's got a kick-ass Instagram. Oh, and Riley recommends Behind the Bastards. Riley is the son, the extra son that I moved in with. I was living with one before. Now I'm living with two sons and uh, Riley's fiancé. Oh, I have a woman in my house and we can talk about woman shit. It's great. Um, so, yeah, Riley recommends Behind the Bastards podcast. And I've listened to a couple of them. They're great. I highly recommend them. I also highly recommend a certain musician by the name of Bugs, who is also Riley. Okay, cat's out of the bag. Um, look, he put this track out a few months ago and I've been in love with it ever since. It's just a great track. I love it. And I think it's the best possible t- track to sign off this podcast with because it's called Big Mouth. And I think of all the podcasts that I've done so far, this is number 15. Um, I've never really exemplified the whole soapbox, big mouth rant <laughs> as much as I have in this one. So I will remind you again, please, please um, like, rate, review, share, subscribe to the podcast. Follow me on Instagram, as I stated before. The algorithm is watching you. It is seeing what you click on. So if you're clicking on me, it's going to show you more of me. If more people click on me, it's going to show other people more of me who are looking at things that you look at, that are the things that they look at. It's all gathered into this funnel. All the information that you are putting out there is being put into a funnel. So it tells you who to befriend on Facebook. It recommends things that you might like. Um, And if people listen to podcasts and then they're a friend of yours and you've listened to my podcast, my podcast will be recommended to your friends. Now, I'm going to great pains to explain that this time because I do sign off every podcast asking people to... um, rate, review and share it and um, a handful of you do and I thank you so much but I would really like to encourage more of you to do that um, to help keep me fired up, to help me enthused and motivated to do this in the first place. Now as 2021 beckons I am going to diversify my Eloquent in the Room projects, going to do some more YouTubes and, and visual medium I am going to do a series on consent that may start in two weeks. Probable, It's probable that it will. Um, but if it doesn't, don't fret. It's, it's on its way. I've decided that even though I have been um, turning up every two weeks, the pressure to do it if I'm not ready <laughs> isn't um, helping me produce quality goods. So... That's what you have in this particular instance, me sitting down the day before I'm due to put this out. And it's a combination of things that are written down and a combination of me just sitting here and raving off the top of my head into your ear. Only you can tell me whether or not it's been enjoyable. So please drop me a message in my DMs on Instagram or send me an email to theeloquentintheroom.com or 
message on my website. I dropped a blog post this week which talks about how I've been celibate for the last 12 months. I know, right? This is the anniversary of me not having sex for a whole year. I deserve a fucking parade. I deserve a badge. We don't need no Anyway, um, I don't know whether I do deserve, but I do feel extremely grateful for my beautiful little family and my very talented son. Take it away, Riley.